Hello there, and a very warm welcome to Des's Island Discs. In a hectic world, this is a little oasis of calm and nostalgia from our guests who choose pieces of music that remind them of a particular time or story from their life or career. Now, if you're listening on podcast, we cannot play the music because of copyright laws. But really, this is about stories. So let's hear them. Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio 1. Today's visitor to the island is a remarkable young journalist from Dublin, but based in Africa. She's won many awards writing about the humanitarian crisis. It's a pleasure to welcome from Uganda, Sally Hayden. So Sally, you've been in lockdown in Uganda. So tell us about it. It's very different to what we've experienced, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, kind of interestingly, I guess a lot of it is actually the same, just staying at home a lot. Um, wearing a mask when you go out and staying away from people, social distancing, washing your hands all the time. I'm in Gulu in northern Uganda and I've been here since March. And yeah, we had, it's like some things were different. We had a transport ban, so it was like all public and private transport wasn't allowed to run, um, which meant that people were getting it everywhere by walking. So that was kind of a way that they used to curtail um, people traveling but apart from that there are lots of similarities having said that Uganda moved very very quickly against coronavirus and we still have less than 900 cases that closed the borders I think when they got their very first case and so um, that was pretty much when the lockdown came into play so it is a bit different from Europe in that sense but I mean having said that like there's an ongoing debate here about the lockdown restrictions how much um how many deaths the lockdown restrictions are causing because, for example, they banned transport with only one hour's notice and they didn't make provision for emergency health care. So I know that there were cases of women dying trying to get to hospitals, children dying trying to get to hospitals. So it's not a clear success story like everything with coronavirus. I think there's going to be a lot of evaluating afterwards in terms of what mm-hmm. what happened and what it meant. And there's also been a lot of police brutality, so people killed by the police as well while they're enforcing um, restrictions. Is that commonplace brutality? Yeah, but I think a lot more since the lockdown came into force. And we have a dawn to, or just to dawn curfew, so 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. And um, particularly then, there's been a lot of reports of police beating people, attacking people, um, a lot of extortion as well. And when you speak of extortion, what? give me an example. I've interviewed people who have been beaten by police and then the police will rob them. That's what they say anyway. And, you know, or being asked for money to be allowed to go without being arrested, stuff like that. And and do you believe that that occurs? You believe those people, obviously? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've even been asked for money by police, so it's not, have you know, you? it's not totally hidden. And and on what pretext would they have stopped you, Sally? Uh, just like there, because there were a lot of checkpoints. So I'm an essential, I was classed as an essential worker as a journalist. Yeah. And so I was able to get permission to drive. But, you know, you'll be stopped at a checkpoint. And like the police also say they're being very badly paid. So they'll say like, I, I'm hungry. My family are hungry. Please just give us something to support us as well and you know I think you know it's not black and white It's all very different I mean this world you're in and we'll come back to talk about some of the extraordinary stories you've covered but it's all very different from the young girl growing up in Dublin. Did you always want to be a journalist? To be honest I didn't know any journalists so I didn't know how you became a journalist so I read a lot like I read all all growing up all the time you would have found me 
with a book and um my dad also read to me before I could read mm. so when I was three he read me the Lord of the Rings which I think my mom thinks gave me some ideas <laughs> but, but um when you were three but, yeah like <laughs> yeah when I was three I think it took a year um yeah like I was reading like Christina Lam who's an amazing journalist and um I I think that I wanted to do it but I just didn't exactly know how so yeah it took me a while to figure out that it was actually possible and then when I graduated so I studied law and then I did a master's in international politics and I just got so lucky um to get what's called the Simon Cumbers Media Fund the student award mm -hmm. which basically pays for you to go to a country to report and I also got mentorship from the Irish Times so I ended up going out to Malawi when I was I think 23 24 to do a feature and that was my first experience like I was there on my own just trying to figure out how to be a journalist. You'd learn fairly quickly, I'd imagine, on your own in Malawi. Well, I didn't learn that quickly, but when <laughs> I was there, there was actually a big corruption scandal. And so I had turned up, I had kind of convinced myself that I was an international journalist. Like I was telling people that I met, I'm a journalist. And then there was this corruption scandal and I actually um, ended up out. I was at dinner, I think, with people from the Ministry of Finance and someone told me that they thought that the budget director's life was in danger and the next day he was shot and that gave me just such a shock because I suddenly was going you know this isn't a joke this is a very serious situation and I'm not equipped to report on it and it was really an introduction as well into how important like being able to access the truth is because Malawi I think there was just one or two journalists who were reporting for the international wires and they weren't even in the city where this was developing and so the information that I was seeing being shared wasn't accurate from what I could see and at the same stage I was trying to pitch places that obviously weren't responding because they had no idea who I was and probably my pitches were terrible and so I left there and just realized that I really needed to start at the bottom like I needed training and how to do this and I needed to make sure that I understood exactly what I was doing and the potential repercussions of it um, and that was when I went I went over and interned in CNN in London and I actually got the internship by telling them this story about Malawi I was just like I have to I need to learn like I don't know what I'm doing I need to learn so um, they brought me in onto Christiane Amanpour's show, if you know her, yes. and Becky Anderson, and that was just amazing. Like that was incredible. I was just seeing like the best people in the world mm. practicing journalism. So it's remarkable. Your first musical choice is from your your youth. Yeah, if I was asked for music that defined my life, this is a good option because I played music all the time when I was young, um, piano mainly, and then also percussion. And I ended up in the National Youth Symphony Orchestra of Ireland, also the National Youth Orchestra of Ireland before that. And this was the first symphony that we played. And I was actually thinking about it last night that there are a lot of similarities as well between playing percussion in an orchestra and journalism because you spend a lot of time just waiting around with nothing happening and then suddenly something big happens and you have to be totally on the ball. So, yeah, if you, if you yeah. can imagine us, I was about 16. We were playing this tour in Ireland and it was just incredibly exciting. And also, like, I still have amazing friends from there. Um, so, yeah, that was great. All right, well, let's hear it then. Mahler's Symphony 1, Movement 4. Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio 1. Mahler, the choice of today's guest, Irish journalist Sally Hayden, who's now based in Africa and has covered a broad range of subjects. 
injustice seems to be at the core of most of the stories you've covered, Sally. I guess so. I'm always trying to figure out like what's important to report, I guess, and where my reporting can be of service. Having said that, like which I'm sure you also appreciate, it's not that you necessarily pre- choose the path that you're going to go down. Like I started reporting generally and then I ended up, I got my first staff job at the same time that the so-called migration crisis to Europe was happening and I ended up reporting on migration a lot. Mm -hmm. And then when I went freelance in 2016, um, more and more stories just kept coming up like people were contacting me saying report on this, report on this. And so I ended up, you know, continuing to report on it and yeah the thing the thing is as well if people contact you and they want you to report something because they think that it needs to be known Mm. you know you're not going to say no (laughs) you're going to do the best that you can to look into that and and see what you can do um to make sure that people hear about it well after your internship in london where where did your career take you i mean living in london was that that was an exciting time for you i'd imagine was it yeah i think it was quite stressful because i didn't really have contacts there like i had just gone over on my own and i actually had a full year where i don't think i really slept in a bed i was sleeping on like futon for three months when i was in cnn and then i moved around like sleeping on floors sleeping on couches because in london it's very hard to get a housing lease if you haven't got a steady job so i interned then in the financial times magazine um and then in vice news and i eventually the i think more than a year after i first went to london i finally got a staff job like signed the contract um and that was in vice news which if people don't know it it's kind of like a millennial i guess focused news organization that at the time was very exciting like they had just done a documentary about the islamic state um and actually you know gone in and embedded with them and that was getting a lot of attention and it was a lot of young journalists from non-traditional backgrounds like people who hadn't necessarily gone to university or you know definitely hadn't gone to Oxbridge which was very different to a lot of other organizations in London but very very passionate people people who really really cared about international issues and you know just worked so hard well you obviously had a great passion I mean to go a year without sleeping in a bed I mean we kind of laugh at it now but at the time it can't have been easy going from apartment to apartment yeah I mean I think it was it was definitely an interesting time like at one stage I did end up in a bed at one stage I um I was when I was in the financial times the editor emailed around all the staff and said he needed someone to mind his cat while he went on holiday (laughs) and so I responded and said oh I'm the intern and I'm basically homeless so I'm available if you need someone to mind the cat and I ended up um, living in the editor's house for a while while he was away so I did get some you know yeah. there were some interesting people that I met were interesting stories your second musical choice though covers those years is that right Sally yeah so I wanted to do this because I wanted to have something to honor London like I complain about it but I also loved it so yeah. much and and Vice like I said it was quite interesting like for our Christmas bonus they gave us a litre of tequila I think this year but um, like I said we had a very stressful time like some of my colleagues were arrested in Turkey accused of being terrorists and you know it was a strange mix of like millennial culture and like very serious issues like very serious news and very serious developments but um, but this song is from the Christmas party in 2015 so we all went obviously skeptical like everybody is about a Christmas party and then 
they had as the surprise guest Craig David who started performing yeah. and I just remember all my colleagues like we had had such a dramatic year and everybody just going crazy to his, his performance like dancing and singing and I just loved them all so much. Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio 1. That's Craig David, the choice of today's guest, Irish journalist Sally Hayden, who's based in Africa. So, Sally, I mean, I know you get asked all the time, a lot of the stories you cover, they're bleak, they're sad, there's cruelty involved in them. Do you ever get affected by any of these? I always get asked this, like you said, and I always think the more important question really is like, that there's so much inequality in the world and so many people are switching off from it and why are so many people switching off from it like why are so many people immune to the horrors that are that are going on so for me I think that it's the responsibility of a journalist to be to make sure that they're okay mentally because you're interviewing vulnerable people you can't transfer anything onto them but at the same stage you know I don't really like making the story about me because the bigger issue is like why are these things happening of course which which of the people you've met have, have has had the biggest impact on you in terms of the stories that have had impact and the people who have led to those stories coming about like one of the biggest stories that i've done so far was about syrian refugees returning to syria and so in 2017 there was a lot of talk which there still is about you know well we have all these syrians but syria is moving towards peace now why can't they go back again? And so uh, I actually teamed up with a Syrian journalist, Ziad Gantor, who I met in Cali when he was on his way. He was coming from Syria to the UK. But we teamed together to do a story looking at what was happening. We kept hearing stories about um, refugees returning and then going missing. And so I actually went to Syria and I managed to meet a guy who um, had gone back to Syria, to Damascus. He had flown in and he was arrested in the airport taken to prison and tortured and he said his cell was full of others so he had been in Germany before but he said his cell was full of others from all over Europe who had been arrested as well in the same manner and he managed to meet me he was sent to the front lines against ISIS and he was uh, there when a suicide bomb went off which had badly injured him and he was on leave in Damascus and he risked his life to come and meet me like it was a really dangerous thing to do and that story, when we published it, got a huge response like internationally. And I actually ended up going to Berlin to testify. There was a legal challenge against the German government um, saying that they need to give more protections to Syrian men, especially because they were the ones who were getting arrested. But this man, it's really, it's not to do with me, it's to do with him. Like he risked everything to get that information out. I read another extraordinary um, story you, were, you covered um, Zula Karohimbi, is, is that the correct pronunciation? Yeah, the Rwandan witch. Yeah, tell us about um, that. Yeah, she's also amazing. So she actually died, I think, last year or the year before. But she was a Rwandan woman who, um, during the genocide, she hid Tutsis in her house to save their lives and basically scared away the Hutus who were the ones who were trying to kill them by pretending to be a witch or I think she actually believed she was a witch so that's debatable but she said that she was going to cast spells on them if they tried to go inside her house and she saved the lives of dozens of people and I met her in 2014 we just drove into the countryside and started asking around um did anyone know where she lived and ended up finding her and yeah she was still amazing 
just so heroic but she was offering me medicine like pet this like gray powder which she said was going to help me to become beautiful which obviously is slightly <laughs> offensive but it's fine and also um and also to help me to get better job prospects so yeah she did it was debatable because then afterwards my fact checker i did a story for vice and the fact checker was like i don't understand is she really a witch or is she not a witch and i was like well that really depends on your definition of witch like i don't think that i'm the one who can properly define that when you're dealing with governments in africa is it easy? Do do some of them resent some of the stories you're covering, like migration and humanitarian issues? Yeah, I mean, it depends. Um, like, Uganda is pretty free, to be honest. Uganda has a very healthy press uh, or media scene, especially compared to its neighbours. The hardest country that I've worked in was Sudan, when Bashir was still in power. And there you have to get permission from the Ministry of Information even to take a photo, like even if you're not a journalist, even if you were just a tourist at the time. Um, I'm not sure what it's like now, but at the time it was very difficult to report and everything that I did, I was being monitored the whole time. Like if I went out, someone would come to my hotel and ask for my passport. And when I came back, I'd be told that someone had been inquiring about me. Like it was very... Everything was very monitored and you're very careful then about who you speak to because you're conscious that they could also be questioned. But it does depend on the country. And like I said, like Uganda, Uganda is they treat journalists. I mean, local journalists can have a hard time. But but yeah, in comparison to other countries, it's quite free. And when hopefully COVID-19 is behind us, what are your plans for the short-term future, Sally? It's an interesting question because the borders are closed here indefinitely. We have no idea when they're going to open, so I'm not sure when I can leave. Um, And there are elections scheduled for January, so it might be that they keep them closed until January. Um, I'm working on a book, so that's kind of exciting. And, yeah, I guess I'll just wait wait and see what happens yeah and and have you many friends in the town you're in yeah i have friends here it's a very it's actually a really nice place like so i left i was living in kampala before but i just thought kampala is quite unmanageable with coronavirus like you know where i was living was quite far away from anything and with transport bans like i didn't have access to a vehicle there so it was going to be too difficult to get around in gulu i mean people are so nice here so the place that I'm in, it's kind of famous for, there was a war with the Lord's Resistance Army, which people might know from that viral video, Comey 2012. Mm-hmm. That was uh, like a terrible time, like very brutal. Tens of thousands of children were abducted, I think. But the war ended like, I think 14 years ago. And now it's actually quite a nice place to be. Like people are very friendly before the lockdown. It was really fun, like lots of music around here. And that's what, for the third song I picked a piece of music from here because I thought that kind of epitomizes that. Just before we hear it, can you explain the background to why tens of thousands of children were kidnapped? There was this group, the Lord's Resistance Army, which was kind of an insurgency and they were led by a man called Joseph Coney. So he's the one who people might know from the Coney 2012 Mm -hmm. video, which was made by Invisible Children. And yeah, their kind of modus operandi was going around kidnapping children and turning them into child soldiers. And yeah, I mean, it was completely horrific. Like I know a lot of people here, even who were kidnapped. Um, yeah, very dark. And it's an interesting time to be here because the International Criminal Court this year is going to deliver a sentence on one of the commanders, Dominic Ongwin. 
And there's a big question around that because he was actually kidnapped himself as a child. And so a lot of people I speak to here, they say, well, he can't be prosecuted for something he did because he was brought up this way, you know, like he didn't know better. And other people say, well, he could have escaped, you know, so it's going to be interesting to see what happened. Most fascinating story and an extraordinary career for you. I wish you luck in, with the book and with eventually when the lockdown ends, continued success in your career, Sally Hayden. So your final choice is this piece you've mentioned from Gulu. Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio 1.